Let us open with prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. It comes to us without error. It's perfect in all its parts. It has all that we need to know for, for life, for living a, a godly life, and for salvation. So we pray now that you would bless the preaching and hearing of your word, that it would, as you've promised, not return empty, that it will accomplish what you have sent it out to accomplish. We pray for salvation and life, sanctification, Christ-likeness, that you would bless our time together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read Romans 1, 15 through the second verse of chapter 2, but we're going to be focusing our message today on verses 18 through 32. So Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The word of the Lord. It's sort of, well, one, it's hard to know where to stop in Paul's writing, particularly in Romans, because it kind of just, the thoughts keep just pouring out. They just keep coming 
forward. <clears throat> and um, all of this verse from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, is what they call a, a parenthesis. And so parentheses are little, you know, the curved little things you put when you're, you're saying one thing, but I want to kind of say this on the side, and we're going to get back to the main point, but I need you to know this first. And then you come back to this main point. Um, so all of this section, 118 through 320, is, is in this, and it's about the wrath of God and sin. And then in 321, he picks back up on the righteousness of God. And so as, as I read this, um, it, it, it's, these are, if you've never read Romans, or you've never heard this before, you might go, oh, my. Um, if you have read Romans before, you might be like, oh, my. Um, this might get us kicked off YouTube. We'll see what happens. Um, we've already, I think, been shadow banned a little bit, uh, but glory be unto God. The gospel goes forth. The Holy Spirit blows where he will. Um, these things are the Word of God. We are to humble ourselves before the Word of God, and we are to um, ask ourselves, you know, what's he saying to us? Why is he saying this now? And what's this connection to all of Romans and indeed to all of the Bible? What, what is God saying? And if you like to do the points, um, I'm not really a, a, a three-point preacher, as you probably know by now, but um, first point is just, you know, the wrath of God is revealed um, and the word, therefore, revealed, again, is apocalypto, which is the same word we just came out of the revelation, which is the apocalypto of Jesus Christ. So it's the unveiling, the revealing, the manifestation of. Um, it's, a, it's a good word. It's hard to get one English word that really says the difference. I know, and I will show my age a little bit. Some of you would think how young I am, others how old, but there was a TV show called um, Let's Make a Deal, and you could um, you, you tell people, dig into your pocketbook. I think my wife could win this thing. You know, if, you have a, if, you, if, you, if you have a picture of a mouse, I'll give you $100. You know, something like that. And they pull, I got a picture of a mouse. You know, and so I guess Mickey Mouse would do or something. And then it says, now, would you like to trade in that $100 for what's behind? And you got these, you know, curtains. Weren't they curtains? I won't say doors, but I think that's something. Yeah, so then they would pull it back and you win some grand prize or, or the, the booby prize. And you get something that's you know, you don't know but until it's unveiled. So the word apocalypto, the unveiling of Christ's righteousness, the, the unveiling the revelation of Jesus Christ means that a little bit. But what it really means is it's this, more like this manifestation of his righteousness. It's the the unveiling so that what's happening is it's actually doing something in the world. So it's not merely, I'm going to give you some information. It is, here's how the righteousness of God is being given into the world. And you might go, great, I, I, I like me some of that righteousness. That sounds like a good thing. So we have to kind of wonder, so why so much time spent talking about the wrath of God and sin here? And there's many reasons, but first, I think, is to see your need for his righteousness. Um, second, it's to be able to see the sinfulness of sin and to see where it leads, um, that a life that suppresses the knowledge of God is not going to be a life that's going to really lead people to truth. It's not going to be a life that's going to uh, give what sometimes philosophers or even you know, worldly secular education says, you know, well, once we get people to, to know enough information about the world, it'll be a golden age. So that the secret bullet, I've heard it said um, at times, the secret bullet to a peaceful world and a sound life and to a golden age is, is education. And it's like, 
you certainly need education. You don't mean out there being ignorant, but that is not what's going to make people good and righteous and holy. Because we all know there are evil geniuses about, and they can do really bad things. So a person's heart is going to take whatever instrument it has at its disposal, and it will use that for whatever means it sees fit. And so what we're seeing is that at some point, what God is saying is, as, you know, I don't want to exegete the whole thing here, but just basically it is that people... And when we see the word man throughout here, it's the Greek word anthropos, which is um, the word for man, for people. Humanity is the idea. I always find it interesting that if you ever take an anthropology class in a secular school, which is the study of man, what is always on the cover? A monkey. (laughs) I thought we're studying man. Why you get a monkey on the front of it? It's like, okay, because we understand... A worldview that's at work, okay? So what we have to say is, like, we must have our worldview, which is the way you look at all of the world. It has to be informed by Scripture. It has to be, there is a creator. That's where we start as believers. We don't, as believers, say, you know, as Christians, we don't, we're not supposed to do this. We have a philosophy that's a way of looking at the world. It works. We believe it works. You have a philosophy. I hope it works for you. Live and let live. Say love thee. You have a philosophy. I hope it works. And we'll all just go out there and we'll live our lives and try to what, peacefully coexist. Now, we do want to peacefully coexist. We should pray for peaceful coexistence. But Christianity is not another philosophy that's out there trying to win, win hearts and minds. Christianity claims for itself to be the revelation, the manifestation, the revealing of the God that created all things that says, I made it. This is the way it's to be. This is how it was created, good and perfect and and true. Man fell, sin fell into rebellion against God. All, therefore, descending from Adam by ordinary generation have fallen in him and and, um, sinned in him um, all the way till Christ Jesus. And then Christ Jesus is born, and then those who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The second Adam, you've now escaped the first covenant, of works, and you're in the covenant of grace by salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ as the penalty for sin has been paid. We believe these things are true. This is it. This is the way reality is. And unless the world comes to terms with the truth of God and the reality of God, it will continue to be lost. And what God says here, it is under the wrath of God that mankind is indeed under the wrath of God. And we'll see a connection um, here, the way these things are are written out. So if you look at verse 17 in chapter 1, and then also at the same time, hope you have these on the same page, you can see it better. Verse 18, there's this parallelism that's taking place there, these two things. So it says in verse 17, for in it, talking about the gospel, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now you go to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. All right, so setting these two things up, they're both being revealed. They're both being manifest into the world. So verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith 
And we talked about last time, what's that mean? And it's, but basically, it's like, this is a, it's a spiritual thing. It has to be understood by the Holy Spirit. It has to be given from above. You must be born again. This is all from faith for faith. It, it's, it's of faith. But 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Okay, so this is being something that's manifested. And then you go back to 17. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live. By faith, not by the law, not by keeping certain rules and regulations, but the righteous, and this is from Habakkuk, um, God is judging the nation of Israel, and, then, and the, uh, the, the prophet Habakkuk is crying out to God, it's like, there's no justice in the streets, the Israel is, we're, we're falling apart at the seams, God, come save us, do something, bring revival. And God says, oh, I'm going to do something, and you won't believe it. I'm going to send the Chaldeans in, and they're going to wipe you guys out. And Habakkuk's like, oh, wait a second, that's not what I was asking for. <laughs> you might have misunderstood my question. And the guy's like, no, this is the way I'm going to bring about the salvation, ultimately, of Israel is through outside judgment. And this is what Paul is quoting here. So he's giving us an inkling so that any time a Jewish writer would quote a, a verse of Scripture, it is always in the context of the, the whole. They don't do like we're bad about doing. We'll take a verse and put it on the refrigerator and use it completely out of context. Verses on the refrigerator aren't bad as long as you're kind of keeping it all in context. And that's what the cup says. Um, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. So you've got to be careful with that kind of thing. And so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them. So what you see here is the opposite of from faith for faith, but what they're doing is the, it's revealed from heaven, not from faith for faith, but this is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, people who, and the word ungodliness there has this idea of sort of a religious thing, like you're, you're disobeying God, you're being ungodly, and then unrighteousness of men kind of has this, what ends up happening is this injustice so that you're no longer treating people justly. You're not, you're not living according to the standards by which we're supposed to be living. And then we see that this wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And as I'm thinking through this and looking at this you know, passage, um, one of the things I do is I, I run, if you can call it that, I, 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 I jog, whatever it is that I do, um, through the park in Oakboro, and there's somebody that, and I'm, it's a good thing, I'm glad they do something like this, but it says, um, God loves you. And they, they just write it in with a stick. And they, you see it several places, God loves you. God's love, God loves you. And I'm like, that's, that's heartwarming. I mean, it's, it's true. I'm like, thank you. It's good to be reminded of as I'm struggling to, to breathe. Um, but I always have to think, do we perhaps talk so much of God's love that for every single person in the world, regardless of whether or not they have faith in Jesus Christ, that we might lead the world to believe that they can never be the object of God's wrath because God loves them so much. I mean, how could I ever be judged by God? Because he just loves me. So it, 
is it wrong to tell the world that God loves them? Well, we go to John 3.16. For God loves the world so much, he gave his only begotten son. And so what we focus on is, well, what do you mean by world? I think we look at that wrong, though. I think um, that the answer is in there. So if you, if you hold your place in Romans and turn to John 3.16, and let's just look at it just for a second. And of course, it's one of the most famous verses. Um, a lot of people, even if they don't know what John 3.16 says, they know They've heard John 3.16 before, and maybe they've even known John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But we believe that. That's true. So let's look at it. Because um, I was looking up, you know, you look at the Greek and these things and trying to figure out, okay, what's the way? And I've heard some different uh, pastors and theologians breaking this down more. And there's a, I found there are two translations on my interwebs that I could find that translate this in this particular way. One's the uh, CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. The other is the Net Bible. So I don't, put, I don't know much about that Net Bible, but the Christian Standard Bible is well-researched um, and um, it's a good translation of Scripture. And it translates John 3.16 the way that I like to translate it, which is, um, for God loved the world in this way. It doesn't mean you can't say God loved the world so much. You, you, you probably you could say that, but the word altos, which is there, which means for God so loved the world. That word so means it's like for God loved the world thusly. For God so loved. Not necessarily does it mean for God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Now you can see that. Why would God do it? You have to love the world. How much you have to love anything to give your only Son, and especially the Son of God. So there is this great magnitude, but what John 3.16 is focusing on right here is the way in which God loved the world. And this is what he says. This is how God loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him so that all those who are believing in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. So what you see is God sends his son into a condemned world. And this is why I think it's, it's, it's you miss a little bit of the gospel. Maybe you miss a lot of the gospel. Maybe you miss the gospel, period, if you don't recognize the fact that God sent his son into the world while we were yet sinners. God sent his son into a condemned world. God sent his son into a world which was under his wrath and curse. And yet, God decides to send his son to save a people for some reason. And you have to wonder why. Is it because God's like, well, I just can't be wrathful to people like that all the time? He certainly can. And there's a group of people which will experience his wrath and curse for an eternity. And it'll be terrible. It'll be awful. God would be completely just to have just wiped out Adam and Eve immediately. He would be completely just to allow billions and billions of generations of people to live and condemn every last one of them to hell to the glory of his righteousness. He would have been completely just. But what God was doing was seeking to do something that focuses on 
the reason why he would save anybody. And it has to be. It's not because of us. The Bible's pretty clear on that. God did not save you because he looked at you and said, Oh my, that little object of my wrath, I just must hug him and hold him and take him home. And no, it's not about you. So who is it about? It's about God. It's about God himself. It's about the Father. It's about the Son. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus giving himself to present to the Father a people. It's about God giving a people to the Son to present him a bride without spot or wrinkle. It is about God glorifying himself in the damnation of the sinner and glorifying himself in the salvation of the sinner. If it were not for God allowing sin, we would not know what wrath is. If it were not for God sending Jesus, we would not know what grace, love, mercy is. If we never sinned, if we were perfect and lovable, then you don't get grace and mercy. You get justice, a loving justice, because it's what you deserve. But what God does is he's taken people who deserve his wrath and curse and sent his son into the world so that the believers in him would not perish but have eternal life. It goes on and says here, verse 19 in John 3, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So he's placing this blame on the people. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. That's everybody. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. So you have a problem there. If everybody's wicked and sinful, then who's going to come to the light? Nobody, because you don't want your deeds to be exposed. So you have a problem. And so God says, I send my light into the world. This is the manifestation of my son, Jesus Christ, and his righteousness. Here it is, in the world. And what does the world do? Uh-uh, hate the light. Turn it off, pull the covers, close the door. You know, I can't, I don't want to deal with the light, because then my deeds are going to be exposed. So God has to do something in the center. God has, you had to be born again. You have to have the work of the Holy Spirit. Something has to happen inside of you that God has to do. Through the preaching of his word, which is the power of God into salvation, it's the manifestation of his righteousness, which comes to us through the preaching and hearing of his word. If you're a believer today, if you've been born again, if you have seen the light and you believe the light and you love the light and you want the light, thank God for calling you into his glorious light. It's the work of God. It is the gift of faith, freely given, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then if you go to verse 36 at the end of John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, it has dawned on me, but I would never do it. I don't think I, don't think I want to go through the park and write, the wrath of God rests upon you. One, there's a lot of believers that remember that. Maybe you should say, oh, unbeliever, the wrath of God rests upon you. Or maybe I should just say John 3, 36. I don't know. But I do think, well, I do know. I'm not going to do that. We're going to talk to people about the gospel. We're going to share the gospel with people. We're going to let people see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Uh, but you do have to share the gospel with people. 
And one of the ways you do it is by understanding the sinfulness of sin and understanding, second point, men are without excuse. Mankind is without excuse. So you look at verse, back in Romans 1, verse 19. Well, let me go back to 18 just, well, I apologize. I keep jumping around. Verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them. Who? These men who, who, who um, suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. What can be known about God is plain to them. So we're going to talk about how is it known plain to them. But when we look at that, this is what you have to know. If indeed what can be known about God has been um, um, shown to them. And the words he's going to use are, it's been comprehended by the mind. It's like the, he's going to say things that can't be seen are seen. And are comprehended by the mind. So there's two words he uses. They get it in their minds and they see it as in, you see, like, aha, I get it. I see it now. Mankind sees it. R.C. Sproul, I've um, heard him say, if I'm sharing the gospel with somebody for sitting down, one of the things I would say to people sometimes is, I'm going to lay all my cards on the table, so to speak, and just say, you already know these things. You know there's a God. You know there's sin. You know there's evil in the world. And you know there's a God above who will judge these things. And he's a creator God. You know lots of things about God. But you've suppressed that knowledge in your sin. So that belief in God is not so much a logic problem as it is a moral problem. Belief in God is not so much a logic problem. For the believer, my goodness, it makes complete logical sense. When I share the gospel, I, I, I fall sometimes on the error of just trying to just say, look at the logicality, look at the logicalness of it. Look how logical it is. Spock ought to get it. You know, this is, makes complete sense. But you've got to understand your sin. And this is the, the problem of sin in the world. As we look at verse 19 again, men being without excuse, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, those things that can't be seen, namely his eternal power and divine nature, eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, and that's the way the ESV says, your mind and your eyes, you see it and you get it, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so again, they're without excuse. So Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night they declare speech. They pour forth speech. The heavens. So if you look out at night, if you still live in a place where you can see the stars, there's not too much light pollution, go somewhere out and I, mean, I see these beautiful pictures of the desert in the middle of the night where they just people taking pictures of the Milky Way and they just say, I had no idea. I mean, looking through a telescope, the first time I saw the rings around Saturn, my thought was just like, how can somebody say there's no God? I see what you're talking about, Don. <laughs> How can you say there's no God? Are you just seeing the rings around Saturn. It's like, there's a God. The further out you go, the bigger you tell us, because it's bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like, oh my goodness, the minuteness of God in the grandeur of his creation. And then my brother-in-law is a microbiologist. He gets smaller, 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 smaller. It's like, it's a tiny little universe. The smaller you go, God is in these details. And so it's like, and then you start looking at DNA, which is information. It's, and we know all about computers now. It's, how do you not, whatever, 
and nothing, <laughs> I get a little carried away with this stuff, because I don't, this is where I was like, I don't understand, I don't understand how you don't get it, I don't, ex nihilo nihil fit, that's my favorite Latin phrase, I don't speak Latin, but I know ex nihilo nihil fit, out of nothing, nothing comes, if there was ever a time when there was nothing, there ain't nothing to big bang, there ain't nothing that's going to, you don't have eternal stuff floating around, they're like, well, what about God, exactly, got to be something eternal, and either this is eternal, or it was created. And we know that this has a beginning because you just know it. The problem is you can't be like the Hindus where it's like the world sits on the back of a turtle. Well, what's under that? A turtle. What's under that? A turtle. What's at the very bottom? And they'll say, it's just turtles all the way down. You know, it's a way of explaining existence. But what we understand is there's a, I think it's Aristotle, I think, the unmoved mover, the first cause, the uncaused cause. The fact that there exists anything means something had to exist for all time. And then we get this stuff and we see the intricacy of it. So you know there must be an intricate God. When you see the grandeur of it, whatever created this is bigger than the creation itself. The, the minute detail, bigger. The, the, the human eye, the ear, all these things. And so does the world say, well, there's no external actions. It all had to happen from inside. So we have to have evolution. I don't want to spend all my time talking about this. I love talking about it because nobody sees a car and goes, oh, look, an explosion happened and my car popped out. No, it didn't. This is not the way things work. We know better than that. Men suppress the knowledge of God and their, the knowledge of God and their sins. Thinking they've become wise, they become fools. Seek knowledge, Solomon says. And in the seeking is much sorrow. We got two guys that are graduating midday. I went to college. I got degrees. I, I love it. We got teachers. We got college teachers in here. Um, education is good. I, I prefer an educated person to an uneducated person. And I will just say there are ways to get education that don't require you necessarily to have sat through these classes. You need to know things. But you have to be careful with that. If knowledge becomes your guide and it's just world knowledge, then seeking to become wise, you can become a fool. You have to make sure that these things that we learn point us to God and that we, we don't... <clears throat> God is what makes sense of these things. And so it's, it's, it's the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's where we start with whatever it is we pursue. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And then again in verse um, 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So we must make sure we do. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So God didn't make their hearts foolish. They had foolish hearts, but they are darkened. And it does seem to be the case that what Paul is talking about is God is doing something. This is how the wrath of God is being manifest, is people who are suppressing the knowledge of God and their sin are under the wrath of God in that they're having their hearts even darkened. And if you can't see that happening in the world today, hopefully it'll be a reversal of some sort eventually, but this is happening. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then you see three times they exchange something and then God gives them up or God hands them over. And it's an Old Testament way of saying <clears throat> um, I'm, what 
God said to Habakkuk, I'm going to hand over Israel to the Chaldeans, to the Babylonians. I'm going to hand them over. Or Israel is going into battle and he says, I'm going to hand your enemies over to you. And what he's saying here is, I'm going to hand sinners over to their sin. So if you look at verse um, 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So for material stuff. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we saw that in the garden. And we continue to see it. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And then worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So worshiping and serving the creature. That can be a couple ways. It can be yourself. You can worship and serve self. Worship and serve self. That means you're focusing on yourself. You're making sure yourself is happy. You're making sure that you come first. You're making sure that all this, this is what myself knows as well, cared for. What about God? Do you worship and serve God? Worshiping and serving God rather than the creature. And it can mean other people or other things other than God who is blessed forever. Amen. Now for this reason, because people would do that, God gave them up to disarmable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And elsewhere, I think it's 1 Corinthians, it talks about um, sexual sin being a sin against your own body. All other sins are outside of yourself, but when you sin in this way, you sin against your own body in some way. So sexual sins do seem to have a, a different category in the Bible. And here he's talking particularly about this type of um, the perversion of the God-ordained way that um, people are made, male and female. And it says, in doing so, they're receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. There is judgment in this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. That means a sinful mind that's devoid of, of what is right and good and true. He gives them up to this to do what ought not to be done. So I'm going to stop there just a second and just see that um, this is talking about intellectual and moral bankruptcy. And we have to be careful. We're in the flesh. We can be caught up in sin ourselves. But as we look at the world, that in a culture that increasingly is rejecting God, rejecting the knowledge of God, and also, um, well, just <laughs> rejecting God, you don't see the world getting better. Maybe in its own eyes, it's getting better. But what you see is a degeneracy. You see this thing that's happening. It's like, it's really fascinating to watch in a very disturbing type of way, particularly when we're raising our children in a culture that increasingly saturates our lives with its influence in a lot of different ways. And homosexuality and other sexual perversions are a judgment on a people. As culture turns from and rejects God, we will see more and more of this, this turning over um, to is maybe or may not be unto repentance, but people are being given up to these things. And then we go to verse 29.4. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So there's this filling up of this, where it's not just, you know, there's going to be this filling up. Verse 29, <coughs> they were filled 
with all, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. This is desires that you ought not to be desiring. Malice, just mean. Uh, full of envy, full of murder, these hateful ideas. And we see you know, murder as a result of this strife, this anger, deceit, uh, maliciousness, gossips. <laughs> what you'll see is you're like, oh my goodness, there's some terrible people. Oh, gossips. Well, they're not talking about my kind of gossip. So I used to love the song from, um, what was the name of that country? So we don't go around repeating gossip, so you better be sure and listen close the first time. Hee haw, that's what it was. We're not the kind to go around repeating gossip, so you better be sure and listen close the first time. Now, I think the church is guilty in this, especially when we have prayer meetings, because the prayer meetings can be all about, well, pray for my uncle. He's been cheating on his wife, and she don't know it yet. We're going to have to pray for Yeah, stuff like that. It's like, uh-uh, some things you need to, <laughs> don't gossip. They can be addressed in proper ways, but we have to be careful about talking about people because that's in a list full of things that leads to evil. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, that means prideful, boastful, inventors of evil. Here's a good one, disobedient to parents. I love throwing that one in there. Um, I was rather disobedient to my parents. I'm judged by this. We're called to honor our parents and a way that you can honor them is listening to them um, unless they're leading you into sin and you want to try to <laughs> make that claim, you know, sinful for me to take the trash out, Dad. Okay, um, <laughs> take it out and then we'll talk about it, you know. But disobedient parents is in there. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. So even if they get all of that, they know it's wrong. Deep, 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 deep inside. You stand before, and this is what this is about. You stand before the, the holy judgment seat of God. Naked. Spiritually. Maybe physically. I don't know. The naked. You, you, everything's stripped clean. Without excuse. And God says, why'd you do that? Oh, well, excuse. Strip, strip, strip the excuses. No excuse. You have nothing. It's like you've got, there used to be that... Uh, uh, game show with the lie detector, and it was like, you, you, how many do you want to go for the next? You know, risk your money for answering the next question, and you don't know what it is, and we're gonna have a lie detector. You know, and it's like you know, something maybe you don't want to expose, and it doesn't take long before people are like, I'm out. <laughs> you know, so you're not gonna have people before the judgment seat of Christ defending their righteousness. You're gonna have people before the judgment seat of Christ that are going to be professing their unrighteousness because they have to tell the truth, and they will be seen in the in, with it being seen under the, the, the blinding, white, hot, beautiful glory of the holy God. And if you have been clean, cleansed, and given white garments, every tear from your eye, and you've been glorified, and you see God as He is. But if you have not, that's hell. So the wrath of God will rest upon you. So he's saying that even though they know these people deserve to die, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. That's where we are in this country. That's where we are in the world. It's always been true. But what's happening is more and more, especially with the Internet connecting the world, awesome things happen and awful, terrible things happen. Uh, Jeffrey Wilson, author of one of the commentaries I'm reading, is... You have to read him slow, but listen to this. Iniquity 
is most aggravated, so sin becomes greater and greater. Iniquity is most aggravated when it meets with no inhibition from the disapproval of others. Okay, so you're doing something. Now, when I was a younger person, we and Augustine talks about this. <laughs> he had same, you know, centuries ago, same issue. <clears throat> We'd go out to do something, something bad, and everybody was on the same page. And if one kid said, and I'd love to say it was usually me, well, maybe we ought not do that. Well, you got called names. You didn't want to do it because you're afraid of cat or worse names. You don't want to do that because da 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 So you need to do it first. And then they make you do all these things. And everybody goes along with it. And everybody does it. And then you're like, okay. Or you listen to songs. I have entire albums memorized. I could probably recite now full of vileness and terrible things about how you live your life and how you date women and like women and guys and this and stuff, just filthiness that I listen to. And we did a thing at church one time with my youth group and I said, uh, let's um, name the hymn. So I'd say a verse, I'd say, finish the verse. And then like they couldn't do it a lot. And we'd say, well, what about all these songs you listen to on the radio? And a common thing was, well, I don't really listen to the words. I just, I just listen to the music. I like the beat. And it's like, okay. So I started throwing in verses from lyrics from popular songs or maybe not so popular songs on the radio. It, quick, they finished every one of them. I was like, you do listen to them. Maybe you don't think you're listening to them, but they're getting in there. And so that what happens is, as there's nobody in your circle of friends that are saying, maybe we ought not do this. You just do things. And there needs to be something, somewhere, somebody that stands up. It's the emperor's new clothes thing. You know, it's like somebody's got to say, he's naked. You can't do this. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you think that's funny, but you're destructing public property. I've seen ever did that. I would not confess anything up here. But, <laughs> you know, you just, there's no inhibition. There's no people that are around there seeing these things. And so we get this more and more in our world. He says, um, there's, when there's, there's collective undissenting approbation. You know those words. It's really cool. There's a, there's, everybody's just in favor of doing whatever it is that you're, you're, you're thinking is bad. And when everybody's agreeing to it, you start to think, well, maybe it's not so bad. And the world knows this. You know, Bad company corrupts good morals, we say. Evil triumphs when good men say nothing. Internet is perfect for this. Don't underestimate its influence on your children. The world is after them and you. You need to protect your, parents, your children, bring them up in a way that they should go. If you think you can put them, cloister them somewhere where they're not going to see all this stuff, it's not going to happen. My children were asking for Power Rangers one Christmas when they were real little, and I'm like, I know they've never seen Power Rangers on TV. I know they're little. They been on my, how do they know about Power Rangers? I still don't know. It's like they're asking for Power Rangers. I was like, well, it, the world gets in there. It's catechizing you. It's teaching you and your children giving approval to those who practice all manner of righteousness, particularly right now with the full assault on the nature of creation and human sexuality itself. What is a woman? When that can't be answered, we have problems, Houston. So what are we to do? People are lost, willfully, willfully blind. And I wanted to, to do this just real quick um, in case you live in a bubble somewhere and you aren't aware of these things and think about it in this context they not only do them but they're giving approval to those who practice them this is um, BPR business and politics Disney plus drag queen hour promo video encourages preschoolers to join gender identity trans activist organization 
Walt Disney Company continues to hemorrhage money and customers in the name of wokeness. Nevertheless, they seek to grab children's attention at their most impressionable and malleable ages and shape them in their new image. The company's latest effort to steer kids away from cis-normative thinking, well, there's a word they come up with, comes in the form of an internet ad that encourages children to visit and join Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network, GLSEN, online. Part of their mission, as it were, is the authoring of, quote, developmentally appropriate resources for educators to use throughout their school community. This has been dovetailed into Drag Queen Story Hour. Okay, do we need to go on? No. Um, and then there's this. A new poll, a U.S. poll, a majority identify as pro-choice for the first time in decades. Notice they're using a political, and this all has to do with politics, 55%. Um, the percentage of Americans who consider themselves pro-choice has risen in the past year to 55%, its highest level in decades, according to a Gallup poll on Thursday. And it goes on, but what they want you to do is say, a majority of the people think like this. I, it's cool for me to think like this, too. Most people think, but when they start to do second trimester, it kind of drops off. Third trimester, 71% think it's wrong. Okay? So it's like, oh, good. No, it's not. 29% of people in this country think third trimester. Oh, it's like ultrasounds. I mean, come on. But what they're trying to do, and they're word these polls, and they do these polls in such a way, they want you to think, and they want your children, they want people in high school who are very, in junior high, who are all about trying to fit in, who don't want to stand out. And you want to be a part of the majority culture that kind of is cool about things, then um, homosexuality, um, you know, not calling yourself he, she, but going by they or something like that, um, thinking abortion is fine, it's okay to kill a baby in the womb. Um, and then I'll, I'll finish with this. There's a, um, this is from NBC News, um, hateful anti-LGBTQ graduation speech at Ohio high school sparks outrage. So the high school graduation speech telling, this is just out, this is June 4th, high school graduation speech telling students to choose a spouse based on biblical principles is sparking outrage online. Choose a spouse, I suggest, alumnus Jim McGuire said in a commencement address at River Valley High School in Caledonia, Ohio, he says, I also strongly suggest to make sure to choose biblical principles, you know, a man with a female and a female with a male. Uh, Caledonia, about an hour north of Columbus, had a population of 506, blah, blah. Since the speech last week, McGuire's remarks have been called hateful and inappropriate. Um, this one person is a graduate from there. When he made the comment that marriage should only be between a man and a woman, my jaw dropped to the floor, and I honestly thought I was hearing it wrong. I had to look around and see if other people were having the same reaction that I was, and they were. I felt like crying when I heard some people in the crowd clapping, but I was absolutely outraged, and so were my parents and brother. I heard people behind me whispering how inappropriate the comment was. And he goes on, he says, he made himself the center of attention. Um, and then this other person in a caption asking the administration to address the hateful speech. I am sorry this hateful speech, over, and this is what they responded, I am sorry this hateful speech overshadowed your amazing achievements. That goes on. Now, you might have um, ideas about whether, you know, somebody always say that when he's speaking in a group such as that or something. But nevertheless, it's hate speech. Most of what I said today is considered hate speech. In, in, uh, in um, Canada, a lot of this stuff is becoming difficult for pastors to actually speak in public because it's called hate speech. Now, here's the other side of this coin. 
don't be a hater. People struggle. This sexuality thing is a difficult thing, and you're going against a stream of culture that it's hard. And if you start getting up there and being a jerk about things, and you start talking about people like they're subhuman, and you start talking about people like you don't love people, and you start talking, be careful that what you're doing is Christ-like. Because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against these things. But also, you see that list? Be careful, lest we too fall under condemnation. Because we, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Speak truth, but make sure you do it in love. And the solution to this is Romans 3.21. And I'm going to close with this um, so that we skip ahead. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is good news. All this stuff you see out there, good news. Anybody who believes, forgive it. There's no distinction. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. You, 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 them, me, all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption of Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, a sacrifice, by His blood to be received by faith, to show God's righteousness because of His divine forbearance He passed over former sins that was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We preach Jesus Christ. We live Jesus Christ. We believe, we rest upon the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, um, we see your wrath being poured out on our country. We see people who are speaking out against these things. that are People who are speaking, giving approval to sin, calling it love, saying it's in your name saying it's um, just and all these, these good-sounding things. So what the church has to do, what we want you to do, we need you to do, Lord, is give us the grace to be able to speak truth in love, to be able to truly love our neighbor, to even be able to say, what does it mean to pray for our enemies? But, Lord, that we would desire that um, you would hold us fast, you would continue to teach us the gospel, help us to be a people who preach the gospel, in its fullness, in a right way, in a way that you would have us to do so that we do not take your name in vain. And we pray this now in Christ's holy name. Amen.